Hi, this is Mike Oppenheim, and you are listening to Coffin Talk, interviews with the living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. And this week, coming to us from the Houston, Texas area, is Rick Ornelas, and he's an ultimate success coach, best-selling author, and founder of iSpark Change. He helps entrepreneurs flourish personally and professionally by eliminating the roadblocks preventing their success. Rick, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, um, Mike. Thank you very much for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Absolutely, and thank you again for coming on. And uh, usually, we just get a really quick glimpse of someone's life by asking them how old they are and where they grew up. Ooh, how old? I don't know if anyone's ever asked me how old I am on an interview. I'm 51 years young, as my marketing manager likes to say, not old, years <laughs> young. And um, uh, yeah, I've, I've lived in, in Houston area for 13 years, but I'm originally from uh, Los Angeles, from Southern California, and um, lived there for you know, a big chunk of my life until we, uh, my wife and I decided to you know, relocate to an, a lower cost of living and you know, some place where we could have a little more space. Yeah. And actually, that's funny. We have a lot in common then because I grew up in the Bay Area, which is also, you know, Northern California. And I moved to Phoenix, Arizona, and both Houston and Phoenix are considered antithetical to the cultures of both LA and San Francisco. Yet, I find all of us transplants are doing swimmingly well over in these areas. So I, I hope the same is true for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting. This country has a lot of reputations that precede places. And I think growing up in California, personally, I felt like there was a uh, a big stigma against certain areas of the country. So I always find it fascinating to meet open-minded people like yourself and, and to hear where we're all living from. And as far as the age part, I, I would like to say this in front of my audience, which is that uh, I ask it because I think it's incredibly relevant to people's understanding of someone else's psychology. Um, I think that we assume falsely, perhaps, that younger people don't think about death as much as older people and also that as we meander our way through our lives, we, we have more experiences that we collect. And so I like to give that relevant to, uh, fact to my audience. However, with that said, I do like that you said 51 years young, and I do like that um, you've, you've talked about this before, because I do find it interesting that we also, I feel, live in a society that's obsessed with youth. And so I'm curious, do you agree with that? And what do you think about it, if yes or no? Oh, I would agree with that 100%, you know, being obsessed with youth. And, and I'd say that's even something that I've struggled with myself, Mike, is that, you know, especially especially when you start, you know, getting close to 50 and, you know, then being past 50 and my wife giving me grief about, oh, you're getting, you know, going to get your AARP card now and, and all this stuff is that, um, and then, and then with the proliferance of youth and beauty and everything on social media, that it, it becomes tough to, um, you know, to kind of embrace, you know, embrace your age. But, but I, um, you know, I, I agree that that happens. For me, I've gotten to a point where I'm I'm content with the number of my age because I, I look at it, you know, as the old cliche, right? Age is only a number. I, I, I really have gotten to a place where I do view it that way. Now, you know, does my body hurt after a workout more than it did, you know, 10 or, or 20 years ago? Absolutely. Um, but mentally, I'd say, that I'm as young as I've ever been, um, just with the learning and growing and, you know, expanding my mind, um, I feel extremely youthful. Totally. Uh, we're pretty simpatico on the subject. I don't know. I just, uh, life is interesting. So I want to get as old as I can <laughs> and I, I want to see it all and I want to hear it all, especially, which is why I like interviewing people. And, uh, 
and, and you know, like, obviously, there's like downsides to aging, obviously, but I think there's also upsides to aging, and those don't get talked about a lot. So yeah, I loved your answer. And I do think the mental age is something we never talk about. Like we make fun of people who say arrested development, or, you know, they, they behave like a child, but but really, you do have a mental age. You have like a way you feel on the inside. And so, yeah, I love it. I'm I'm just like you. I feel enamored with the whole process. Okay, I do want to kind of jump into the near-death experience stuff. I'm sure you're comfortable with talking about it. I'm sure you've talked about it a lot. So in whatever order you think the story is best told, I'll just leave it up to you. Hey, everyone. If you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us, and it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, of course. And, and I'll, you know, I'll share that my, you know, quote unquote, near death experience may be different from, from others, um, you know, that have perhaps, you know, experienced some, some glimpse of the other side. I mean, I, I, I interviewed, you know, someone for, um, for my podcast that had, you know, that exactly, you know, that exact situation is quite an incredible story. And, 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 you know, not to diminish my story in any capacity, but I'll just say that, you know, mine is not that. Um, and, and what, what my story, my story goes back, um, about 21 years, um, to where I was you know, still living in Southern California. My wife and I were, you know, we're raising a, a young family. We had two daughters at the time. Um, we now have three, but we had, we had two at the time that were, were young. They were one and four. And, and we were, you know, just kind of figuring life out and, figuring out parenthood and everything. And I was, you know, I was still, you know, I, I say mentally, I'm, I'm very, you know, I feel young now mentally, but then I was immature, right? You know, I was immature as a, as a, as a 30 year old, I was, I was immature. I was still very selfish and, and, you know, not focused on my family and, and arrogant and, and, you know, um, hadn't learned a lot of the, the wisdom that, that, um, you know, that age brings, right. That, that you, you learn with some life experience and we're driving home from um, a, a birthday party that was a couple hours south of where we lived. Um, and we're driving on the 118 freeway, which is, you know, it's north of Los Angeles. And we're, we're coming back on a Sunday afternoon and, and it starts to rain really hard. Um, now, living in Texas, now I'm used to that crazy rain, but um, it, it was not like rain you would typically see on a, on a Southern California day. And it was the first rain in a long time. So the roads were really slick and we see many cars had pulled off and, you know, we're kind of waiting, waiting out the storm. But, you know, it was late on a Sunday afternoon. We were afraid it was going to get dark and we wanted to, um, you know, get home before it got, got too late and dark. And, you know, my wife felt it would be worse. And, you know, probably some of my arrogance played into that. But, but we continue on. And, we're driving in the in the slow lane in the number one lane on the freeway, and all of a sudden, I, I hit a large puddle, and um, we start hydroplaning. And I, I lose control of of my car, and we start spinning out of control, just spinning, spinning, spinning completely. You know, 360 degrees spinning, spinning, and we spin across four lanes to the left, and we're we're about to hit the center divider, and we're, we're both my wife and I are screaming, and my kids had been asleep, and you know, I don't really know what's going on on with them at this point. You know, they're in their car seats and they were sleeping. But for for some reason, we do not hit that center divider. And literally, like, we're, you know, maybe an inch from hitting the center divider. And then all of a sudden, we start spinning the other direction. And we spin, continue to spin out of control across, uh, back across the four lanes. Off the shoulder, we go 
up a dirt embankment. There's a real big shoulder in that area. And we go up a dirt embankment because um, it's kind of hilly there. And we hit a brick wall and we flip over completely um, at you know high speed and we land back on the wheels. And the uh, windshield is all shattered and the roof is smashed down to about eye level. Um, and the right side is smashed and the glass is all broken and the car is filled with dirt and glass and you know, our stuff is everywhere. And, you know, I, I check my kids and, and they're crying now, but they're, they're um, completely fine. You know, apparently they, they look completely fine. And, and my wife, you know, says her shoulder's a little sore from where we impacted, but she's completely unharmed. And there's not a scratch on any of us. And we, you know, we crawl out of the door of, of, of my side where we could still get out and, um, and we make our way to the, you know, to the side of the road. And this elderly couple had pulled over, you know, in the time that we're getting out, they had pulled over and the lady grabs this big blanket and she wraps it around my wife, who is now sitting on the, on the dirt, just clutching my daughters and thanking God, you know, that they're okay. And the lady's, you know, trying to console her and, and I'm, you know, being like, like I said, the, you know, kind of the arrogant male that I am, I'm talking to the, to this gentleman who's, you know, like I said, he's probably you know, 70s or 80s. And he tells me that that's, he's just witnessed the most incredible thing he's ever seen in his life. And he proceeds to tell me that he thought we were killed for sure. And, you know, being that arrogant guy, I'm like, is it really that bad? Like, I mean, we, we're okay, right? We got out of this car. Okay. Well, um, you know, we get taken off in an ambulance and the car gets towed off. And the next day I get, I get, and fast forwarding a little bit just for, for time, but the next day I get, I, the next day I get, I get taken down to the impound yard so I could get the rest of our things from the vehicle. I get a ride down from my father-in-law and my car is still sitting on the flatbed tow truck right out front of the office. And I go into the office and I tell the, the attendant there, I said, Hey, I, I'd like to get my things out of that. Black Grand Prix, and he's he's like, what Black Grand Prix? I'm like the one on the on the um, on the flatbed, and he looks me square in the eye and he says, that's not your car. And I said, yes, that's that's my car. You know, I, I need to get my stuff. And he says, no, whoever was driving that is dead, or you know, maybe in the hospital. And I'm like, excuse me. And he says, yeah, I can always tell what happened to the driver by the look of the vehicle. And it kind of took me by surprise, right? Because, you know, here I was like, hey, it wasn't that bad. And then I, you know, then I had had a couple people by this point, you know, especially the, the impound guy that, you know, has seen lots of cars in this situation, tell me that, um, you know, we should have been killed. And, and then after that, you know, there's many other individuals and you know, police report and all these things where they're, you know, essentially kind of pointing in that same direction. And so, you know, that's why for me, um, you know, I, I tended not to look at it as, you know, quote unquote, a near death experience, but literally every single person that is, um, that heard that story or that saw the car was like, you guys sh shouldn't be here. You know, you, you were protected by a guardian angel, like something happened that, that, you know, you guys were fortunate and you're still here. And, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't take death like like lightly or anything um i do look at it as you know it's definitely a blessing and and that 
um, you know, for whatever reason, um, we, we came out of that, you know, especially my wife and kids, you know, came out of that completely fine. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. And it's also for me, cause I'm also a parent, like I care so much less about you in that story than I do about your children. And I know you would agree with this. That's why I'm saying it like while laughing. Um, 100%. Yeah. Uh, and that's just, Oh my God. The, the, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm going to drive with my daughter in the car today and I'm going to be thinking about that story. And um, and then the part, you know, the reason I booked you uh, has much less to do with the fact that you had a near-death experience, but actually the fact that it woke you the hell up and seemed to have really shifted your consciousness in your life. And that's the part I'm like dying to hear about. So, um, yeah. So what happened next? Like how how quickly did that develop? And, and can you describe that to people, especially the quote unquote younger people who might not know how to get rid of their selfishness and arrogance if they have it. I'm not saying all young people do, but yeah. And, and it's, it, you're, you're right because that's the, you know, that's part of the, the, the journey. That's the part where, you know, the, the, the story takes a, it takes a, an upturn, right. And in, in the story after that, I mean, it, you know, if I surviving wasn't enough, but after that period, after that accident, Mike, I went through a period of reflection and, and, you know, just, um, you know, self, um, you know, self-reflection and just reflection on my actions and how I was living my life because I, just like you, you said a minute ago, being a parent, the worst thing that I could have possibly imagined was something happen, happening to my kids and my wife. And then not only something happening to them, but something happening that was my fault. And, and I couldn't, I couldn't, um, you know, couldn't live with that. I mean, that was just something that, that was unacceptable to me. And so, and, you know, for a few months of, of reflecting on it, I, I wrote what I called a to-do list for every day of things that I wanted to live, live my life by. And, and this, this list included, you know, a dozen things that were important to me for, um, for living life, like being grateful and being present with my family and living like every day could be the last day of your life and you know, treating others with you know, kindness and respect and just like basic things. But I realized I was not living up to those standards in many ways. And, and it was, it, it really changed the trajectory of my life because I became far more focused on my family. I became, and which is ironic because I grew up the youngest of five, um, you know, five, five, four older sisters and, and, um, and uh, you know, big family. And my parents had always instilled the importance of family and, you know, family is the most important and you, you support your family, you love your family, you do everything for your family. And I mean, like that was something my dad like grained in my head and I wasn't living that way. You know, sure. I had, I had kids, I had a family, I was, you know, feeding them and you know, for their head, but I was, you know, like I said, I mean, I would go out at, at night and, and, you know, um, go play basketball for three hours or come home late, you know, like stuff like that, just not spending time, quality time. And, and that all shifted after that, after that point. And it continued to grow and evolve for, you know, the past couple of decades to, um, you know, to me just growing in so many different ways um, just throughout my life. Um, and, and there, there, there was, you know, there's one other thing that, you know, the story will take a little turn, but, what what really seeded those changes in my life was three years after that accident, you know, you're talking about death, three years after that accident, my, my sister um, took her own life. 
and she had struggled with bipolar depression for years and, and you know, gotten out of the hospital too early and, and took her own life. And she hadn't been married very long. She had two very small kids that were both under the age of two. Um, and that was a big, big wake up call. I mean, more so than, you know, my accident that how precious life is and the value of life and the value of the time that we have with our loved ones. And, and that, you know, that had a huge impact on, you know, myself and, and, you know, the person who I was and the person I was becoming and everything because, and continues to, you know, to have an impact to this day. Um, because, you know, it's all so precious and, you know, you never know when, you know, it'll all be over. I mean, for sure. And uh, I think that's the perfect segue into the only standard question we have on this podcast, which is, uh, what do you actually think happens when you die? And I always like to make sure I'm specific, not like the general question to people, but like, how do you envision your own death? Mike, I, I'm a very faith-filled person, and, and that's grown a lot over the years as well. That's part of that transformation of myself was, you know, again, I was raised in a very faith-filled family that was a, a part of our of our lives, and, you know, church and, and faith and, and God. And, and again, I had drifted away from, from that in that, uh, in that time, um, you know, in that kind of in my youth. And, um, and now it's, it's such a strong, strong part of, of who I am that, you know, I, I believe that, you know, in all, in all its sadness for the people that are still around after, after, you know, you, you pass, um, that there is a lot of beauty in death and, you know, especially after speaking to someone like I did a few weeks ago, you know, that, that has, you know, spent some time, you know, quote unquote in heaven. I, I believe that, you know, there, there is an afterlife. I believe that, you know, we all are, are, are suffering or you know, anxieties and, and everything won't even be a thought, you know, that it won't even be a part of, of the, you know, spiritual being that we are, that we'll be, we will be filled with so much love and um, and so much, you know, compassion and empathy for others that it's, um, you know, it's kind of like, and, and you're, you're married and you, you have, um, you, know, you mentioned you have a daughter, Mike, so I'm sure you will agree with this, but you know, when you're, when you like feel those, those intense moments of love for your child or for your spouse and, and you're like, it's, it's just such an incredible feeling, you know, it's almost intoxicating, right? Like overpowering. Um, I, I feel that, you know, when, when we die and, and, you know, move on to, to heaven, you know, God willing that, that um, it will be just like that a thousand times greater. Yeah, no, that's great. And actually you sort of answered my question in the, in the middle of your answer, but then I still have like a lingering part of it. So I understand that you're anchored to this reality by your children and your family, as am I, and as I hope uh, most people are. And then obviously, when we were speaking, or you were speaking earlier about suicide, that's an example of someone who is, while perhaps anchored, not anchored enough, we'll say, um, just to be fair. And uh, so I'm curious, if the afterlife is the best thing ever, as, as you, you believe it is, and, and again, I'm saying that open-mindedly, um, if your family wasn't here, would you be like dying to go there? Or do you think there's like tremendous purpose and meaning to this life, even if you don't have a family or things compelling you? 
Yeah, that is a is a excellent excellent question, Mike. That that may be one of the best questions I've ever been asked on on any on any interview. So uh, thank you for asking the question. That is just such a deep such a deep question. But I I, I would I would say. I, I also believe so in believing all all those things, right? That you know, I fear death. I, I think that the you know, actually, could be a beautiful thing and, and incredible, and and um, and you know, worth waiting for, <laughs> for lack of a better way to say. I also believe in the importance of a purpose-filled life, and, and that's the life I've been I've been working towards ever since my accident or my sister's death, or, you know, especially been working towards in the past few years. Um, and, and so I believe that, you know, not only to, um, you know, to, to uh, glorify God, but I believe that we were all, we're all on this earth to become all that we can be. And, you know, I don't say that in some, you know, corny, you know, army slogan uh, sense of the, of the phrase, but what I mean is that, that we, you know, we're are human beings that have incredible talents and gifts and abilities. And for us to waste those is, is just, you know, the, the worst shame, I mean, ever uh, for us to not not see all do all that we can accomplish and you know become all that we can be and be the be, you know, completely best version of ourselves so you know while the afterlife will be great i think we can um create a beautiful world and a beautiful um time with our loved ones while we're here so you know there is that you know there's there's that draw that you know that doesn't mean i'm in a hurry to get there um, because I feel there's lots of things that I want to accomplish and I want to, you know, do everything with what I've been given um, while I am still here, you know, put my time to good use. <laughs> and actually, I would like to do that to segue kind of into your, your now your career, um, because that's what I read at the beginning of the interview, which is you're now doing incredible things for other people, which, you know, as the host of a show that's interviewed, um, I believe you're our 90th interview, uh, Pretty much every person seems to indicate that giving back and giving to others is is kind of like ultimately what's giving them the most pleasure and what's working out the best for them. So obviously you're an example of that, but I'd like you to, you know, elaborate, please. Um, what are you doing with your life and how is it helping you and others? Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with the other 89 individuals that that, that is one of the <laughs> one of the secrets to life, Mike, is to to give back and to serve others and my purpose which i found you know my purpose i believe is to to love and to you know give to others and serve others and that's the purpose that i i work towards every day and you know i wear i wear a bracelet that, that has that you know inscribed on it uh, my wife wants me to get it tattooed but i'm not a tattoo guy so i don't have any so i'll wear the bracelet and you know call it a day but as far as what i'm doing in 2020 my business coaching business had slowed down I started to get anxious and fearful of what was going to happen, you know, with what the future held. And I started to kind of go into a, you know, uncomfortable place for myself, you know, that anxious, depressed and unknown place. And then I quickly realized that I needed to, you know, I knew better. And so I, I wrote a blog about using the time as an opportunity. And then I used the time to write. And so I, I after that accident, 21 years ago, in that period of reflection, 
one day when I was sitting in my car staring up at this little guardian angel pin that my mother had given me, an idea for a, a story hit me like I had just watched it as a movie. And I thought it was pretty special. You know, I, I wrote that to-do list and I thought that was pretty special. And so I, I wanted that to-do list to be incorporated into this story because I thought it was all interconnected. You know, it's just the timing of me having all these ideas and everything. And I wrote about a page and then I you know, went back on focusing on you know, my life and my family and, and I didn't write it. Well, then you fast forward to, to 2020. And after I said, hey, I, people are suffering and, and I need to you know, do my part to help others and inspire others. I finally wrote that story. And so I wrote um, my book, 12 Hours of Heaven Lessons for a Better World. You know, it's a fictional story um, but they, that was inspired by, by that accident. And, and then in the writing of 12 hours of heaven, you know, I went through a, like a deep spiritually connected time where I just had you know, so many incredible ideas and felt I was being called and compelled to do more than, than just write the book. And that's where the idea for my organization, I spark change was born and, you know, sparking change and, you know, spreading positivity and, and, you know, empowering others to, to, you know, elevate their social impact and spread positive change. That's where all of that came from. And that's what I've been working on for the, the past you know, couple of years is, is growing Ice Park Change, growing our community. Um, we have, um, you know, do coaching and, and different challenges and, and different groups and mentorships and, um, and, and endeavors through Ice Park Change. And we have our, our social media community where we have you know, inspiration and motivational content and so forth. And this is all just the early phases of Ice Park Change because the goal of Ice Park Change in the next five years is to build a community with one billion members in that community of individuals that are spreading positive change, you know, uh, helping others, serving others, giving back. And um, next, you know, early next year, we start uh, building our social media platform which will support exactly that which will be the world's first social media platform dedicated to completely completely dedicated to individuals that are giving back supporting one another spreading positive change um you know like a, a central hub where you can find these people you know support them they can support one another um that that kind of platform doesn't exist yeah yeah no i love it that's truly beautiful and truly inspiring and it's like we're just living in these times where the message out loud is so negative. And I, I'm careful to say this to people. I don't know what it was like in the early 1900s. I don't know what it was like in the 1940s. I know what I read about what it was like, but I'm not going to ever pretend that I know because what I, what people would read about our era is not at all how I would describe it. You know, So like, I'm aware of the fact that all people perceive their time as perhaps extra harrowing or dangerous or perhaps as extra peaceful. But I am curious with everything that's going on, especially since you're from the Los Angeles area and you've moved to Houston and, and you talked about COVID and we, you know, we're just moving through these, like what appear to be very erratic times. Um, what is your peaceful solution on like that level for people? Do you have any like words of advice for that? Just people who are like, panic-stricken, scared, or um, apprehensive, or even aggressive about it. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's an excellent, it's an excellent point, because that's what we see all day long. You know, that's what 
the media shows that's what's on social media that's what's all over the internet and the, yeah, the yeah, reality totally. is it, it and it's interesting you said you know like 1900s or 1940s the reality is is that we in in many hundreds thousands of ways we are living in the best time in the history of the planet we have we are the healthiest we live the longest we have you know the lowest incidences of you know diseases and we i mean you know, you'd think that there's you know murders on every corner but you know crime is is down all over the place i mean safety security um you know um wealth uh, i mean all these things are just at levels that they have never been you know been seen before and that's that's what i i hope people realize is that you know no matter who you are no matter what your situation is you always have to have a choice and any one of us any one of your listeners anyone um you know just any day um, you can spread that positivity and that, make that positive change through your actions, right? You could smile at a stranger. You can, um, you know, call someone that you haven't spoken to in a long time. You can let that person in in traffic that's trying to, you know, get in front of you instead of giving them the finger. You know, like you could all you always have a choice, and and that's how we we really start changing the world is you know all those individual choices and those individual actions. Oh my gosh, do I agree with you. Um, this has been nothing but a pleasure to talk to you. You're a very positive, but also pragmatic and realistic man. And I think that's um, not rare, but it's certainly going to help people who aren't as invested in a spiritual experience as you and I are to, I think, come around to, to helping others. Rick, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. To everyone listening at home, once again, we just uh, encourage you to go over to MikeyOp.com, M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com and sign up for free to the entire package that comes with the podcast. And my name is Mike Oppenheim. This has been Coffin Talk. And we will see when I see you see me and I see you hear this tune and I feel that you near me and I see you while the moon and then I see